0: Welcome to the Brand Community Podcast.
1: Brand communities are the foundation of business growth. They build a human connection between brands and their customers, turn those customers into lifelong advocates, and ultimately grow your business.
0: I'm Sam Heisel, a co-founder and managing partner at Knox, a digital agency that helps brands, artists, and entrepreneurs grow and
1: convert communities online. And I'm Chris Whitman, co-founder of Crony a creative agency that connects brands and consumers through powerful brand experiences.
0: Every Tuesday, we'll be interviewing marketing leaders and community builders so you can walk away with actionable strategies to help your brand grow and
1: prosper. Welcome to the show. Hey, Charlene, welcome to the Brand Community Podcast. How are you doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, you know, super excited to have you on Hear about your insights around um, building brands, building communities, organizational growth, everything that affects a, a great business. So thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, to kick things off, I mean, you know, first and foremost, you talk a lot about the disruption mindset. Uh, we would love to just get your insights on, you know, what exactly you mean by that and how that fits into an organization's community how that kind of affects where the community can go, uh, you know, organizationally.
0: I love that. That's amazing. So, when it comes to um, how brands and how companies can really leverage the power of that mindset, what have been some of the the tactical ways in which you have seen organizations start to embed
1: certain values or or ways of thinking within their organization? Hey, Charlene, welcome to the Brand Community Podcast. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, you know, super excited to have you on, hear about your insights around um, building. Brands, building communities, organizational growth, everything that affects a a great business. So thanks for joining us. Um,
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, to kick things off, I mean, you know, first and foremost, you talk a lot about the disruption mindset. Uh, We would love to just get your insights on, you know, what exactly you mean by that and how that fits into an organization's community, how that kind of affects where the community can go, uh, you know, organizationally.
2: Sure the, uh, the idea is that people have been thinking about disruption backwards. We keep looking for a technology that's going to create disruptive growth and it's actually growth that is disruptive and so people I have an idea like this is what we can grow, let's go do it and they get to the point where they're going to execute and they realize this is going to be freaking hard. I don't want to do this. it's gonna be disruptive. let's back away from it and and I think this there's a need to be really um, honest about disruption. We keep thinking we want innovation, which is easy. It's going to be just smooth sailing. Press a button and innovation is going to happen. In reality, it's a really hard journey. And so the implications for this inside an organization, your community has to be really strong. Because if it's not strong, it's not going to be sustainable as you go through this disruption journey. Those ties have to be extremely foundational to carry you through this time.
0: I love that. That's amazing. So when it comes to um, how brands and how companies can really leverage the power of that mindset, what have been some of the, the tactical ways in which you have seen organizations start to embed certain values or, or ways of thinking within their organization that, that lead to that that growth that enables disruption?
2: Yeah, the biggest one is that you have to be thinking about your future customers. Because if you don't know who your future customer is and all you have is a model of your current customers, guess what you're going to do? You can do the exact same things that you do every day that makes you the money, brings home the bacon, and which is to serve your current customers really well. And what you need to do is to say, well, I love my current customers, but I need to think about the future and invest in it today. And actually turn my back on these beautiful, profitable customers and go for that future. So aligning your organization about who that future customer is, how we're going to initially figure out to get to them, and then be able to rally and and, and to to focus on that and to push down that uncertainty. Well, we don't know exactly who those future customers are. We don't know exactly how to get there, but we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And we're better to be on that road than to be not on it at
0: all. Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to that process of, uh, and I know you mentioned too, it is this very iterative process of, uh, I'm sure who you even think will be your future customers now will probably change in a month or so after having conversations and doing some customer development with those prospective future customers. But when it comes to creating this kind of like, minimum viable customer persona of your future customer, how do you help companies or how do you typically think about identifying who those future customers are if we're so focused on who our existing customers are instead?
2: Well, I, I think one of the things to do is to align your organization, your employees, staff, everybody, you, you, even your ecosystem around who that model is, or even understanding that you need to develop that model. I, I, again, even if you don't know who they are, but I love the use of empathy maps. It's a key part of design thinking where you figure out this is the model of who we want to go after. Not, don't describe what they do, um, What you know, the title. Actually talk about wh- what do they say? What do they think? What do they feel? What do they do? Because there are probably four different things. Uh, you can create customer advisory boards uh, to really bring in not your best customers, but these future customers. And, and I think the best thing to do is to gather all your customer-focused people frontline people who usually have no voice in strategy and elevate them to, so you can hear the voice of the customers. I mean, we, we see future customers all the time. We just don't necessarily have the mechanism inside of organizations to hear them because the people who, who, who hear them and talk to them all the time are the frontline workers who are the most disenfranchised people in an organization. So using community to bring out their voices who represent those customers is absolutely crucial to this process.
1: I love, the, uh, I love that focus on empathy. And I feel like, you know, obviously it's been gaining a lot of traction uh, in the business world and, uh, you know, for, for good measure too, because it's, it's incredibly important. Um, Would love to hear you just like break the empathy map down a little bit more and, you know, realize it's probably different from organization to organization. But, you know, maybe there's like a good uh, example of a business that's done a really good job of of mapping something like that out you've worked with or you've observed over time.
2: Yeah, I worked with this one um, restaurant chain and they really had all these different models. But one day we just put out the empathy map of one of those customer models and have people just take post-it notes. This is back pre, pre-COVID, but you can do this virtually too as well, but take post-it notes into and, and each of those squares of feel, think, say, and do. Like, what do they think? They're frustrated, they're hungry, their kids are screaming in the backyard, they're thinking, I'm going to go insane unless I get food in them in five minutes, right? What is it they actually do? Right, and what are they thinking? And more importantly, how are they feeling? And the power of this is that you can create these empathy maps and share them with people. And because there's such human aspects of it, they're easy to remember. This is the biggest difference between uh, personas or customer journeys. I've never seen them used at the front lines. But you can use empathy maps at the front lines so that you can recognize your future customer when they walk in through the door.
0: Yeah, I love that. So when it comes to... um Engaging and, and developing that customer empathy. I, I mean, I think customer development interviews, super valuable. Um, what other ways do you think about developing that understanding? And I know a lot of times like there's, whether or not there's a community that you've already created with these future customers or existing customers between your brand and those prospective audiences, those communities already exist online on their own, whether or not your brand is partaking or paying attention. So from your perspective, when it it comes to developing that empathy, starting to really lean into engagement um, with those audiences, how, how do you tend to approach that?
2: I, 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 again, grow, have grown up in my career around the whole social listening space. Mm-hmm. I mean, being able to literally listen in on conversations that your customers are having uh, with each other, with their friends and hearing what they're saying. There's, it's a huge gold mine. Mm-hmm. And we actually have the artificial intelligence now to make sense of it to go back and look at the history of that person to see if they have had other issues in the past. What's their entire history? So you can put context and value against those particular comments. Because a comment coming from an emerging future user could actually weigh more than a big spender customer that you have here that talks about all the time, how happy they are. Because we talk about like it's 90% sentiment positive. But that 10%, if they represent your future customers, that's not a good thing if they're incredibly unhappy with you. So having this context of who's actually speaking, the depth of the profiles that we can get from people now, whether they are in a formal community or not, is, is tremendous. We could never have done this just a few years ago.
1: That's great. It brings up a really good point because you know we talk to a lot of like major brands out there, but we also are speaking to a lot of emerging, uh, brands that, you know, have smaller staffs and, uh, you know, can at times feel overwhelmed when they're trying to, you know, drive these goals forward. What are some like actionable approaches to social listening in in general? Like, are there, um, you know, any good, like, you know, sequences that you like to, to coach people through in order to, you know, digest that information the right way and be able to filter it in an appropriate manner?
2: Yeah, I think that the lowest paying fruit is to identify your adjacent users. Uh, there's a whole theory out there called um, adjacent user theory that says if these are your core users, who are the people just outside of that circle? The people who come to you, they may have explored working with you, but they never signed on. This is kind of hanging on. Like, what is it that, that stopped them from doing that? And we oftentimes look and say, why do people buy us? But why are the reasons why people don't buy us? and really dig down. And that's your lowest hanging fruit. And it's so easy to just say, well, they're not a good fit. The product market fit isn't there. You know, so we're just going to ignore them, going to focus on this core. And that's such a big mistake because that could represent an opportunity for you just to shift your products and services just a little bit to be able to capture them. My favorite example of this is Facebook. Early on, when they captured the entire college market, And then captured the entire high school market. They go, so where else can we grow? And they did the most non obvious thing, which is to say, we're going to let the parents in, something that nobody was asking for. And so they went to these adjacent users and said, we're going to let you in. But they made sure that the core users were still happy enough that they would stay and not leave. It's something that they have mastered over and over and over again with their innovation cycles. They look at these adjacent needs and say, how do we tweak our our overall service to be able to increase the size of our bubble without making everybody else so upset that they leave? They come close, stupidly, but they never quite do. <laughs> yeah,
0: the, and the, the, the social login, it's like, even if you do want to leave, it's like, now you can't use half the rest of the internet that you've become reliant on now. But it, it's an incredible point, too, and I, I love as well because I, I think Facebook knows very well that they have tons of different customer segments that use the platform in different ways, whether you're a marketer that's using it from an advertising perspective, a parent, somebody that's very engaged in, in Facebook communities and groups. It's not only from a... I mean, it's it's tied very deeply into the roadmap.
2: I mean, it's really amazing from a user experience that they're able to create a workable user experience with billions of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's extremely hard, and and what it shows is that there's a minimally viable product that's there, but they also have these like peaks of 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 greatness that really appeal to different segments. And they make it very clear that the most important thing that is front and center are the relationships, is the content that's being created by your network. And they make that front and center. And they always have.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. So I know a lot of the the listening and empathy can be very valuable drivers for uh, kind of product roadmap and uh, identifying unique and innovative ways to provide new value to whether it's current or future customers. Um, from a, a branding and marketing standpoint, I know half of branding and marketing is just having great products, but do you see this informing a, a lot of different like, branding and, and marketing decisions and positioning as well? And if so, uh, how do you tend to approach it with that lens?
2: Yes, absolutely. One of my favorite examples is Comcast. Mm-hmm. Again, Comcast isn't, hasn't always been known for the best customer experience. Mm -hmm. Um, usually at the bottom of most polls. So a couple of years ago, they made a huge commitment to Net Promoter Score, to NPS, uh, both for customers and also for employees. And one of the most fascinating things I saw them do was put NPS at the front lines in the call centers. And so the people at the call centers hear what's going on with customers, and they can elevate um, ideas for action that go to product, that go to marketing, that can impact things. And these things all go all the way up to the CEO who looks at three of these every single week. And, and that's incredibly powerful because not only do they see it across all the different hierarchies, they also go back to the team and let them know this is where it's at and this is the action being taken on it. And when they decide to do something on it, they have this metric of MPS to measure the impact. Now imagine if you were at the front lines, you see this happening because it's all visible in public to everybody in the organization. You're thinking, I could come up with the next great idea just by simply sharing what I have seen here and it could really move the needle in MPS and people will know it came from me. That's incredibly motivating, but you have, this is not something again, you can imagine how long it took this to take place at Comcast. It was a two year endeavor. But there was that commitment to making that customer the center of everything that they did. And, and, that's, and I think in, in our economy these days, especially with the taste of technology, we're looking for the quick hits, the quick wins, the silver bullet, and there's no such thing. This is hard, hard work. So if you truly want to listen to the voice of the customer, if you truly want to incorporate their, that voice into your product, into your marketing, into your brand – you're going to have to change a lot of the way that you work.
1: All great points. And not to even, you know, complicate the situation even more, but we were obviously talking a lot about Facebook just now. What about some of these other platforms, right? Like TikTok, of course, um, you know, uh, the platform of the of the year, but, you know, Twitter, uh, YouTube, you know, even some of the gaming ones like Twitch. Um, are you, like, what's, what's your opinion of those? You know, should brands be, like, I mean, obviously it's going to be case by case, but should, should certain ones be focusing on, on, on ones versus others? Like, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts there.
2: Yeah, I look at it this way. Before you keep start adding Twitch and TikTok, which are newer platforms, you know, do the basics here. Go figure out Facebook because there's so many people there. If you're a business-to-business, definitely look at LinkedIn, Twitter, you might wanna check it and see if it works. Instagram, if it's a visual product, Um, Pinterest even, YouTube, there are so many platforms. And I would say all of them matter, even TikTok and Twitch, again, they all can be fantastic. But there is no single formula, again, that says, do these three. You have to constantly be on all of them, testing to see where is your audience because your audience shifts, we know people shift. Um, we just saw over this past few months over the past eight months, people were flocking to TikTok because of the amazing algorithm that it has. It just shows you great stuff. And especially as a new brand or as a new creator, you have the opportunity to see, have your stuff seen versus on YouTube, it's really difficult to build audience. So I, I love TikTok, it's amazing. It's um, it's amazing because it's so addictive. And if you are a brand trying to build a base with people, it's a great way to develop a following very, very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. Um, very excited to see more and more brands flock to the platform. Yeah. Um, Chris and I were actually just talking earlier today about like videos that have just gone viral because I think it is such an overlooked opportunity. Because, per your point, the the algorithm is showcasing content you're likely to engage with, and it's not dictated solely by people that you already follow, like pretty much every other social platform. So, I think for brands to to realize that opportunity and just understand that if they can create engaging content, TikTok will gas it and show it to tons of people is uh, something to not be overlooked. Because who knows how long that will last either. In other words, kind of like an early mover period for all these different social products, Instagram, even now it's super competitive. Um, With regards to like a tactical approach to listening across these different platforms, I mean, are are you, I mean, I know you mentioned there's AI and there's different softwares that are able to essentially help do this at at some level of scale with uh, baked in sentiment analysis and and, uh, digging deep into these profiles. But uh, when it comes to like the hard work and baby step and in the spirit of kind of like doing things that don't scale, like what are other ways in which you can really, or, or very tactical ways in which you can really tap into these gold mines as you framed it and really start to extract and glean some of these these very valuable insights from prospective customers and future customers?
2: Well, you, you can either do the searching for the needle in the haystack approach, where you just take a whole bunch of data, dump it into your machine learning, whatever, and and go at it. I think a much better way is to start with a thesis. Start with an idea. I'm curious about this segment and how they operate. I'm curious about that. It's about limiting your choices rather than expanding them. There's always a time when you want to explore, but I think testing hypotheses, using the social listening, using all of these great data tools that we have to get instantaneous feedback on whether your hunch is right or not. And this is the biggest problem that I see with organizations that they don't want to move forward, even take the first step to go look at those future customers until they're 100% sure that that's right. What I would ask instead is that you think about what's the minimal, minimally viable data that you need to be able to take the first step. This is not just about exploring. Remote. This is about taking a concrete step towards that future. What's the one question you need to answer in order to move forward? Don't try to boil the ocean. And then you use all the social listening to try to get the answer to that one question. And when you get it, you move forward. And if it was the wrong one, you'll quickly figure it out and come back because you realize that 99% of the decisions that you make are actually reversible. And we don't act that way. We act as if all the decisions have to be perfect and right. So when you are sitting here working with trying to understand customers, you're going to be wrong a lot. And as you develop a better sense of what's right and what's wrong, your instinct, your gut will help you create better questions as you go along. That is such a better way to be moving into this future than to go on a fishing expedition, hoping that you find that future customer in the data.
1: Yeah, I mean, really amazing insights and, and, uh, you know, time actually flew by in this conversation. So I really appreciate it. There is, however, before we let you go, there is one question that we always ask. Uh, It's going to put you on the spot a little bit. So, uh, you know, begging you for forgiveness ahead of time. But if you were to start a new D2C product company, um, you know, from scratch, what would that be? Uh, What would the product be? And then if you had a hundred K marketing budget to, you know, boost growth, how would you go about spending that?
2: Oh, man, put me on the spot here. (laughs) Let me tell you my idea.
1: with all our listeners right. I, like, <laughs>
2: secret. I mean if people ask me this all the time it's like if you you know where's the next opportunity and I always say if I knew that I wouldn't be doing this right say, <laughs> like, this is this is how I feel about it the biggest opportunities right now are with working parents at home <laughs> with young kids mm-hmm. if, if I mean people are like what right. about this I'm like no and I'm on all these angel investing boards and everything I'm like yeah great idea like I'm like the biggest problem we have right now is how the heck do we help these parents with young kids because their productivity is terrible, the kids have, I mean, it's just a nightmare. Go and spend some time with them. Solve one of their problems and you've got a billion dollar product. Guarantee you that. Go solve real problems. Don't solve problems that you and your buddies have. Go out and talk to people who have those problems and I would spend that 100k just identifying and really sharpening whatever that message is to clearly identify that problem because whatever it looks like it's on the on the surface it's actually probably four or five levels down below it and when you can get that you know you got it right because people will just respond to that so visually. Um, So I would spend that 100K would be all about boosting and finding the people who have that problem, getting the product into their hands, and then having them go to tell all of their friends, all their other stressed out parent friends, (laughs) you've got to get this. It is the best thing ever. Your life will be changed.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, I think you nailed it. Um, and I'm sure there, there are a lot of, uh, you know, salivating parents out there who are trying to figure this out. So <laughs> good thoughts there. Um, thank you so much, Charlene, for your time. This was incredibly insightful. Um, you know, really hope all the listeners enjoyed what you had to say and, um, you know, looking forward to uh, staying in touch.
2: All right. Thank you all.
0: Thank you, Charlene. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed that episode. I think Charlene obviously has a wealth of experience and has clearly done a lot of research as well, so is able to really showcase a lot of very valuable kind of case studies and stories. I mean, I think as far as big takeaways on my end, Really taking the time to identify what is that thesis or or hypotheses that you have about your customers? uh, What are the pains they're facing? What are the goals they're after? And then spending the time to actually dig into those communities that are already formed online and and trying to gather perspective, develop empathy. So that way you can really validate or invalidate those hypotheses. I think if you build a muscle and allocate some time to doing that, even if on a, a, a small scale every week, um, Like she said, it really is a goldmine. I think those insights are, are not only going to fuel branding and marketing and positioning decisions, but may even give birth to some really, really valuable kind of product ideas or pivots or iterations on what your current value proposition
1: and offering is. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, you know, to summarize it, she mentioned growth is disruptive, right? So, you know, it's kind of like that test and learn mentality, uh, you know, you got to try everything out um so i thought she brought some really interesting thoughts to the table from that perspective and then yeah the empathy maps i mean you know what are what are your customers feeling what are they thinking uh what are they saying what are they doing uh how can you really plug into that uh so you can you, you can really establish yourself within their uh within their lives frankly so really enjoyed the chat today and i uh, hope everyone else did as well
0: definitely Well, thank you, as always, for tuning in. You know where we will be next week. Back in your ears. We appreciate you guys greatly. Until then.